Welcome to the Supergirl Supercast, part of the incomparable network of podcasts. I'm Mandy Self, and joining me to talk about Season 2, Episode 20, City of Lost Children, are Alan Yu. Hello. Dan Drush. Howdy, hey. And David Schwab. Hello. Schwab. Ah, there's no W. David, could you start us out with the summary? Okay, so here is my super quick recap. James gets upset the Guardian just punches and scares people. Lena and Carl lunch and bond over InSync. Lena drops Chekhov's Technobabble. An alien attacks a park and then vanishes. Rhea gives Lena pep talk number one after a portal test fails. Guardian tracks down the alien's son, Marcus. Marcus connects with James. Rhea gives Lena pep talk number two, and a portal test works. James does take your kid to work, and Marcus almost breaks Scott Catco. Wynn comes up with matching technobabble. Kara calls Lena and ends up talking to evil Rhea being evil. James wants to find Marcus. He wants it a lot, so John lets him go. Marco, Wynn, and James find lots of Forforians. Rhea betrays Lena and opens the portal. James wants to save Marcus and the Forians. He wants it a lot, so it works. Monel fails to save the day. The Daxmite fleet arrives, and the final plot is go. I considered a much shorter version of this recap, which goes season arc, storyline, chair rearranging for the finale, and James finds something to do other than punching things or his job. (laughs) Yeah, I think that about sums it up. (laughs) That was great. So this is obviously a very James Olsen-centric episode. And uh, so considering that, I was wondering going in before the episode even started, uh, I feel like we kind of have David's opinion subtly through the recap. (laughs) But uh, how do you guys feel about James and the Guardian storyline even before this episode started? (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) Sai probably sums it up. Yeah, (laughs) I I have not been a a fan of this uh, Guardian plot. It doesn't make sense. It seems like they're just trying to make everybody in the show a superhero. Or kind of the charm of the uh, first season was kind of that ensemble uh, cast where you had people who were doing all sorts of good in different ways. But now it's like everybody needs to punch somebody. They're always punching. And I mean, part of like how Guardian was shot in this episode really emphasizes how he's out of place as a concept and a design in this universe. Because so, you know, there are, you know, like the the scene where he swoops in and kicks down a guy for selling pot, for example. Right. So that, you know, I, I think it's deliberately shot to look a lot like what we would see in Arrow or in Batman. You know, So Guardian looks in the shadows. He wears a suit of gray armor. It makes him look like a riot control cop. But then, you know, it doesn't match, right? Because he lives in a world where the superheroes wear bright primary colors, they save cats from trees, and they do their crime fighting in the light of day, and they, you know, do it in time to watch Game of Thrones and eat pot stickers in the end. So it, it kind of <laughs> emphasizes just how out of place Guardian is. And it, to me, it's it's like the writers acknowledging, yes, we know he's kind of a pointless character. We're going to try and fix this in this one episode. I I was actually feeling that too, that it was like the writers actually heard our feedback that we all thought Guardian was stupid uh, and were trying to fix it. Uh, But something this episode also, I feel like, brought up was, you know, James talks about Supergirl and Superman uh, in a conversation with Wynn in the park, I think, and about how they inspire people and how he feels like Guardian isn't doing that. And it just really 
I felt this question of like, are they trying to tell us James is inspired by Supergirl or Superman? Because what I'm feeling is James is jealous of Supergirl mm-hmm. and Superman. And I, I don't feel like that's a very uh, good way that for them to, if they want us to like this character and not have him like go evil. <laughs> well, really also, if James feels that he should somehow be inspiring people and doing all this, he runs a media empire. Yes. Yeah. He has the tools to do this if he did his job. <laughs> Agreed. But he'd rather go and punch people. As an example, he could see what Cat Grant thought in season one. I miss Cat. Like, of, of, of how he can use his media empire to inspire people. You're just, just you know, like, Cat Grant did it perfectly, and she didn't have to punch anyone. Yeah, and, and it just, it seems to me is that James is trying so hard to be like Superman and Supergirl that he's failing to be James. And he has this whole story about how he's inspired by his dad to do this thing. But I think really he's just jealous of all the attention and stuff that Kara gets that he doesn't. Because being Cat Grant and running CatGo is kind of a behind the scenes job. Yes, she's like a known figure, but she's not in front of a camera. She's not getting, you know, clapping. Yeah, and I mean, when she was in front of a camera, she did manage to inspire the city, right? There was that, there was that episode where, you know, she, you know, broadcasts that message, uh, with Supergirl, and, and, and that, that kind of worked. And so, you know, and, and, and I agree with what you're saying, though, that, you know, it does make James seem kind of petty and immature, like, you know, all my friends are superheroes, so I want to be one too, kind of way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've been really struggling with James this season. So it was kind of gratifying to see the show actually acknowledge that maybe we are supposed to be struggling with his storyline instead of presenting it as this uh, unilaterally good thing. In this one, it just bothered me a lot that, as I, I think my recap covered, that at the, there, there are these decision points and, and nothing in them really made a lot of sense. <laughs> Agreed. The, this, the one that blows me away was this was the one scene where John says all these good reasons why James shouldn't go shouldn't take Marcus out of the building. James says something with almost no meaning whatsoever, and John agrees. And I, <laughs> I, I, I can almost see the actor going, "I have no idea why I'm agreeing to this." Yeah, I, I had a lot of feelings about how the DEO handles children. Yeah, why do you put them in an interrogation room and expect them to, you know? talk to you they're pro- that kid was probably terrified out of his mind and then alex is basically like low-key torturing him yeah like oh let me eat this burger in front of you aren't you so hungry like this is a child you're not supposed yeah. to torture children you know win win actually had the right idea he's like hey give him some action figures you know make him comfortable and happy yeah no one listens to win that would just make too much sense but then you know um James makes a suggestion, and then all of a sudden, uh, John is like, what, you're a child psychologist now? Well, the thing the thing that got me is, theoretically, John had children at some point. Yeah. So why does he not know how to handle children? Uh, and why does it come from childless James, you know, that is like, maybe we should take him out of here and not torture him. It's like, hey, John, would you like your daughter to be treated this way? John also was, again, magically not a telepath of this episode. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the kid's a telepath, so I, I might believe that telepaths can't have a harder time reading other telepaths. Maybe because John has been has hasn't been a father for so long and now being in the DEO for so long has made him subscribe to the Oliver Queen style of treating suspects. <laughs> Possible. Yeah. So Alex mishandles the child by Loki torturing him, and then James takes what did you say the child's name was? Marcus? I couldn't remember. Yes. Yeah, I think it's Marcus. Uh, yes. 
So James takes him out and, you know, has the brilliant idea that this child whose mom's face is all over the news, let's take her to the center of like Newstopia, uh, where the news is literally on every TV at all times. You mean James's wall of TVs? Yes, his wall of TVs. <laughs> Which are always on. <laughs> I can't conceive why he took him to Kekko. I, I just... It's like you're trying to bond with a kid, so you take them to work. There's no, like, parks you can go to? <laughs> the park already got smashed up. <laughs> and that's the only park in the whole national city. Yeah, also, when he brought him to a cat cone, he's like, yeah, he's my nephew. And nobody even <laughs> thinks twice about, hey, this kid's an alien. You can... You can actually see, like, the things on his the side of his head. It's like... Well, it could be his nephew by marriage? <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Yeah, and, and nobody questions, like, oh, James, do you even have siblings? Like, mm -hmm. I, I have no... Like, these people work with him every day, you know? Yeah, because we really haven't heard anything about James's family other than his dad. Right. And, and this would be the time, I feel like, to bring up other members of the family, if there were, uh, and to expound a little bit on his family. I mean, this is a James-centric episode. You would think we'd learn something more about James other than what we already knew. But all we really learned about him is what we already knew, that he was super close to his dad. His dad died. He made him really sad. He became a photographer. Now he wants to punch people. <laughs> so, you know, we have the kid in Catco, and, and then, of course, the whole weapon thing happens, which uh, messes with the kid, and he starts taking down Catgo. And something I was surprised by, Supergirl is almost incidental to this episode, because it's really James-focused, but it takes her a long... She's in Catco, and it takes her a long time to realize something's going wrong. Yeah. Also, I, I thought it was funny, because, you know, Kara runs off and, like, reveals her costume, you know, by ripping her shirt open. In the middle of the office? Like, as she's still around all of her co-workers. <laughs> And then it takes a surprisingly long time for her to come back as Supergirl. I, yes. I don't even understand why they bothered, because they could have just had the machine turn off and the kid drop in the room. Like, it, almost everything, other than connecting the two plot lines, Kara does basically nothing in this entire episode. Agreed. All she does is uh, pick up a kid and answer a f or call a person. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I was just like, and when they showed the destruction of Catco from the outside, it looks like that building's about to like, you know, Collapse. tumble to the ground. Yeah, yes. like with the amount of damage that building has uh, taken, I'm surprised they, you know, they just haven't completely uh, like evicted everyone and said this building is condemned because <laughs> it is structurally unsound now. Yeah, and I was surprised the building didn't collapse from the damage the kid did. Instead, it still seems to be standing. And... That was uh, surprising to me. I'm also surprised just how uninterested Kara is in this kid. Like, she has, like, her whole own plot line going on. But you would think Kara's, like, a busybody. So you would think if James brought a kid to the office, she would be, like, in the office, like, hey, kid. And James would have to, like, tell her to go away. Does Kara really have her own story in this episode? Because it didn't really feel that way. You're right. She doesn't. She doesn't. She's barely in this episode. But that's the thing. It, the, the writing had to really force James into all of this. There, there, there was no other way to make this a James story without forcing this. You have to make a connection with just this one person. We have to have Kara. And unlike the previous episode where Kara shows up in every episode, every scene, if, even if it made no sense. Whereas here she shows up in almost no scene, which you think she would show up in. 
It, it just the, the plot line almost feels out of place with how the show is often written. Yeah, I mean, I I do wonder though. Like, it is nice once in a while to do you know in a superhero show to have an episode without the superhero of the show to focus on you know what 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 it's like to be one of the non-superpowered characters so i i guess it kind of works but because they put it so late in the season and we've already soured so much on james slash guardian as a character that now even though they're really pushing very hard to uh to add layers to to Guardian as, as as a character, it's not working simply because we've had to watch Guardian do uh, pretty much nonsensical things for the better part of several months, and now we just don't want to see him anymore. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's a fair point. I I also just don't think it makes sense with Kara's character. I, I love episodes that don't have anything to do with the main character where it focuses on a side character uh you know classic examples being xander episodes and buffy right (laughs) but in those episodes buffy is still doing her thing it's that just that xander has a side episode in this episode kara is not doing anything yeah yeah like one of the best parts of the the xander episodes in buffy is you just see buffy and the rest of the gang in the background doing their thing and that's kind of the whole joke right in this, it's just like Kara's like, yeah, she's standing around eating pot stickers and egg rolls. Apparently, pot stickers are so distracting, she can't even like realize a kid is destroying Catco and or change her clothes very fast. They are really good, though. Uh, no. <laughs> not, that's not to excuse the uh, wanton destruction. But I will say I am still watching Buffy, and I've sort of given up on comparing uh, CW shows to the Buffy episodes that I'm watching right now because, I don't know, I, I feel like it's, it, it's like too high of a standard to compare it to. Possibly, but I feel like Arrow has done better jobs with having episodes that focused on side characters. Mm-hmm. Like, there have been some, even this season, you know, strong subplots that had to do with, uh, you know, Curtis's story or Wild Dogs, and, you know, Arrow has his thing going on, but there's a whole subplot that just focuses on these people. But for this, they just really had to forcibly sideline Supergirl and just make her just around and it it would make more sense if there was some other threat going on that she was taking care of, that she didn't have time to deal with James and this child and this event. Uh, but that's not how they played it. That's a good point. And I actually agree. I think uh, the Wild Dog episodes are quite nice in Arrow. And I guess one simple way, Emma just talking about this, made me think that one simple way to uh, do this sort of sideline the hero thing is to have this entire plot take place when Kara was doing her music meister thing. That would have been one way to do it. Or something. But basically, Superman and Supergirl, they're really powerful. They can easily win. But they can't be in two places at once. Right. That that's not that complicated a structure to put in place. And they and they could have done something. Agreed. There were chairs to move around, plot to move forward. Yeah, sometimes I just feel like the supergirl writers are a little bit lazy when it comes to these things. Moving on in the James plot line, uh so him and Wynn go to save the kid's mom. Uh, and then it turns out there's like a whole bunch of these aliens there. And uh then when the final event happens and they all become uh weaponized he decides that talking them down is a better way to go than trying to fix wins tech or you know relocate them or something uh so mm-hmm. how, how do you guys feel about that climax of the james marcus uh story i kind of expected Huey lewis in the news to play because he 
he saved him with the power of love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's a nice sentiment, right? The idea that, you know, again, it's a problem that you can't solve by punching something. It, it, but again, I, I think it really works well if it's a character where you've already developed a good amount of goodwill and complexity in previous episodes. So it, this would work, you know, if, if you know, it were, say, Supergirl doing this because we know who she is. We, we know that, that you know, that, that, that she, she, she's realized that you can't always punch your way out of things. But because it's been so late in the season when we have... When, uh, you know, when we're getting any kind of character development with James. So, you know, it, it's a nice moment of him trying to uh, not use violence to solve the problem. But uh, again, because it's, you know, it, it's coming so late uh, now that I'm just, uh, I appreciate the idea, but I'm not convinced. For, for me, I don't even have a problem with the characters. I, I just think that perhaps the writers are too used to solving problems with punching and don't know how to solve it other any other way there there was just there was no basis for the plan to work there was no reason to assume he could get through there was no good reason to think that if he gets through to one the other ones would all calm down it, it just felt so arbitrary it's i'm going to make up the solution and then do it and then i will hope it'll work and it works my the one thing i thought was funny in that scene was when keeps saying that, that 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 they should go and they should get out of here after saying that the Forians are so dangerous, the entire city is in danger. So I'm not quite sure where he was planning on going. Yeah. You can't outrun a nuclear blast. Uh. <laughs> if you have a fridge lying around, then you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. I forgot about magical fridges. Yeah, I, I felt like they were trying to push the Supergirl, Supergirl moment on James, because that's a very Supergirl thing to do, right? Talk someone down from the edge. Because when Supergirl doesn't punch things, her other option is talk people out of mind control, uh, as that was like the whole climax of last season. But there was no reason to believe that you would be able to get through. I, I agree with that because these people are naturally not violent, according to Jean. So if they're naturally not wanting to do this, how can you talk them out of doing something they would never have done in the first place, right? It's, why is their own self-will not powerful enough to overcome the anions at that point? And then if it is some science anion thing that's making them do this, you can't talk your way out of science. And I think this also connects to what uh, what, what I think either David or Mandy were saying earlier. If, they, if they're, you know, telepaths and, and then presumably they have some kind of mental defenses to block them from people, you know, talking them out of things. Right. And it's just like, you know, you can't talk down the law of gravity. It's going to keep doing its thing. Uh, so it's kind of crazy to think that James could talk down, you know, them from being controlled by the atmosphere or whatever techno babble was causing this event. As far as I can tell, shouldn't this happen to them every time there's a lightning storm? That's basically what's happening in the sky. <laughs> no. <laughs> Sorry. Science. <laughs> Yeah, the science in Supergirl never makes any sense. So so we've alluded to a lot, the other plot and the science. Uh, so the whole other plot is uh, Lena and uh, Mamel uh, bonding and sciencing together. So um, I, it really felt like to me that Lena is uh, substituting her mom for Mamel, right? And Mamel is taking advantage of this. So how did you guys feel about the Mamel lena relationship? So while while Mamel is pretty evil, she is very supportive. Yes, like she had some really good points when she was uh, giving those pep talks. Yeah, I actually notated. I was like, 
wow, no wonder uh, Monel is torn on whether, you know, he should like love his mom or not, because she is a great mom. <laughs> She's just evil. Mm-hmm. And if you don't go along with her evil plans, then she goes evil on you. But if as long as you're going along with her evil plan, she is super supportive. Yeah, of course, it I- could. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Alan. No, I was just going to say that, you know, Terry Hatcher really is trying very hard to, to sell this character. And I, and I will note that she has, you know, she, she's, she's good at playing both the sort of very kind-hearted but not very uh, good at solving things mom from her role in Desperate Housewives. And she's also good at playing evil mom from her uh, voice acting work in Coraline. So, so it, it, it's nice that she's kind of doing a bit of both uh, here. But I, I actually have a, have a different uh, issue with this uh, about you know lean as a character but i guess we can talk about that a a little a little a little bit later no go ahead bring it up (laughs) i was thinking what i've seen of lena thus far makes me think she would be much more intelligent than this she would not be trying to solve a problem by just adding more power to it right because that whole discussion of you know what would lex do versus what would lena do i mean i from what i've seen of lena thus far she has always been such a competent and intelligent character that I don't think that, you know, she would even need that kind of guidance. Did Lena really need multiple pep talks in this episode? Uh, I suppose I, I don't even yeah. quite understand still, even after watching the episode, what Rhea needed her for. Because I can't tell what Rhea knows and what she can do and what Lena is bringing to it. And uh, the the climax of the episode then... Lena sort of stops having any control or ability to do anything with the equipment. I there, there's a whole pile of that setup. I didn't really quite understand for um, what Rhea needed and what Lena could do. And the pep talks were nice, but I but I agree it it felt Lena was perhaps either overly trusting or just um, shouldn't have needed it. I I do feel like Lena should be more suspicious of this woman who is coming in and basically trying to replace her mother. Because uh, everyone in the world at this point knows of Lena's mom issues. So if anyone's going to come and take advantage of Lena, it would probably be through the mom angle. Uh, so I, I don't know why she isn't more hesitant. A- as for Rhea, I-, I feel like obviously she needed Lena's resources, right? That's why she had to go to Lena. But I, I kind of feel like Rhea is trying to replace Monel with Lena. <laughs> it's kind of a mutually beneficial, like, surrogate mom-daughter situation. And as we see at the end, I, I think uh, Rhea really likes Lena. And that's why she abducts Lena at the end of the episode, right? When when her and Monel get transported, to, presumably to a ship, Lena gets transported too. Uh, I have no idea how Rhea communicated that to the ships, but... Whatever. So I, I think Rhea is genuinely fond of Lena and kind of views Lena as the good child that she never had because instead she has crazy frat boy Monel who now has the evil girlfriend in Rhea's eyes. This better not be matchmaking. This better not be matchmaking. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, I, I also really question the choice of the writers to knock Lena unconscious at the end of the episode. You know, Supergirl comes in to stop everything and uh, Lena immediately gets sidelined instead of just, you know, seeing what's happening. I don't know what their plan is for that, why Lena needs to be unconscious all the time. <laughs> Initially, I was wondering if it was a Superman and Lex Luthor thing where Superman goes into the lab and hurt and uh, Lex Luthor gets hurt. 
where and in this case too supergirl is thrown against a wall by lean by rea and that's what causes uh, lena to get hurt and i don't know if it's going to sort of be this thing where rea tries to uh say that supergirl got her hurt or something i i don't know it it, it felt like as soon as Rhea took took over. Lena just didn't seem to be able to do anything, and and that and that seemed unfortunate. Well, along those lines, I really questioned the reason why Rhea didn't more subtly try to take over, because uh, she could blame it on Supergirl if she had been more subtle. Instead, she like takes the controls, turns the thing all the way up, and Lena's like, "What are you doing? This what?" So Rhea betrays Lena in Lena's sight. And I have no idea how Rhea is going to be able to verbally get Lena on her side about that. And and don't forget the answering her phone for her. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I, I was like, when when she first did it, I was like, oh, man, that's really rude to answer somebody else's phone. And then after she hung up, Lena actually sees her and is like, is that my phone? Oh, yeah, it was a telemarketer. One, how does uh, Mom L have that much? knowledge of the culture to know about telemarketers she's been around for a week and two still super rude yeah i i was actually really surprised lena didn't tell her off because i don't care what kind of warm fuzzy she has about Rhea. i would not even be cool with my mom answering my phone for me unless she like saw it and was like oh it's your dad right like mm-hmm. then yeah that's your husband you can answer my phone <laughs> but it, otherwise i'd be like what why are you answering my phone mom like that's weird. Uh, so I was really surprised Lena allowed that. And I also have no idea what Rhea thinks she's going to get out of deleting Kara's contact. I didn't even notice that. Yes. As soon as she finished the call, she deletes Kara's contact from the phone. Or she may not delete the contact. Maybe she just deletes the history. But it looked like she deleted the contact. No. So I, th- I think it also looked like she deleted the contact. But I mean, like, Kara can still call her. The number will just show up instead of the name. Right. And Lena will still try to call Kara and be like, wait, her phone number is mysteriously not in my phone. Let me just go into my text message history and find that conversation. Yes. <laughs> or maybe I'll call her at work. I'm sure there's a company directory I can use to find her number. Like deleting that contact achieves nothing. Yeah, I, I have no idea why Rhea uh, did it at all. It, well, maybe, it, maybe unless in- it's just something petty. Maybe in the next episodes, in the finale, there's actually it actually matters, but I just don't see how. If it matters, it's because the writers have no understanding of how cell phones work. <laughs> Maybe they'll have to go look up a, like like an actual phone book to find telephone numbers. That would be crazy. Old school. <laughs> I'm also pretty sure if the electromagnetic interference is so bad that they can't trace them, that the call probably wouldn't have worked. Yeah, I had that too. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you know, cell phones are, you can get through anything all the time. They <laughs> it's just a work crystal magically. clear call. Yes. I, I was also kind of surprised that Rhea was so mad that Supergirl put her on speakerphone. Like, she's, Rhea's talking to Supergirl, and Supergirl's like, it's your mom, and puts the phone on, you know, speakerphone for mon to listen to, and then Rhea's like, you would let him listen to this call, you know. <laughs> and I'm just like... What he's in the room, like she she's part of the DEO. Like this is pretty standard procedures. I'm pretty sure when you get a call from a terrorist, is you make some way for everyone to listen to the call from the terrorist. Uh, but I mean, what do I know? Just TV shows, I guess. <laughs> I mean, Raya has learned about telemarketing, but not about speakerphones. So she she, she <laughs> she's still figuring out phone technology on 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 this planet. She has a very inconsistent cultural knowledge. <laughs> uh 
So how do you guys feel about the climax, which is the Daxamites invading the Earth? Oh, you mean the uh, the Stargate that keeps changing sizes? Yes. Because <laughs> yeah, like, at the beginning, like when uh, Kara first goes up to it, it seems like, oh, it's, you know, maybe 30, 50 feet in diameter. And then all of a sudden, all of these ships come in and come through, and the ships are wider than buildings. And I'm like, <laughs> how big is this thing? I'm still working on the, let's try and build a portal. Okay, we even saw a diagram of the portal that looked like the other portals. No, how about we build one big enough for spaceships to go through for our first attempt? Yeah. What? <laughs> don't, don't try a small one at first. Make I also one. don't understand why they wouldn't have built two. Like, how was Lena intending on testing this? Where was that portal going to? Like, you would think they would have two small ones, so you could, like, throw an apple through one and see it come through the other. But I, I really question Lena's uh, research programs and how they work at LexCorp. Yes. Where was Alcorp. this portal going? <laughs> and, and clearly, all the other did all the other ships have access to portals? Because, yeah, we saw the portals as being portal to portal, but this kind yeah, of feels like... you need two of them, right? This, eh, do you? The, this feels like they opened one big portal here, and a whole bunch of little portals showed up all over the universe where all these Daxamite ships went through and then got collected, funneled here? Like, I, I don't yeah. know. How yeah. How did that communication work? Like, how did uh, they know... Well, presumably Rhea's ship is still actually around, even though uh, Wynn can't see it, right? Like, otherwise, I don't know how she got to Earth. So maybe she could communicate with them from her ship. But I also wonder if the Daxamites had so many ships, they have so many ships. Like, (laughs) they are like Battlestar Galacticine in the universe, right? Their planet's been destroyed, but they are all on these ships. But the Kryptonians didn't really have ships to escape, only Supergirl and Superman got away. Like, you're telling me there were no, like, ships lying around that people couldn't have gotten onto in time before the planet got destroyed? Kryptonians are above flying around in spaceships. <laughs> <laughs> they are too good for space travel. Well, sort of at different points, uh, you know, they made such a big deal out of the disaster on Daxum that, you know, even, like, their prince had to escape on a Kryptonian ship. If it was so dire, but they also somehow have this armada of battleships lying around that for some reason that their crown prince couldn't escape on. So I'm confused as to just how many Daxamites survived their planetary disaster after Krypton blew up. And, you know, and like that seems inconsistent with what we were told earlier in the season. Yeah, not only that, but all these battleships have teleporters. They could have beamed up all the uh, people from the planet. I don't assume why that wasn't the first part of the, you know, emergency escape for the royal family. Why did Monel have to run to a pod? Why didn't he get beamed up to the ship that his parents were on? Because story. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Probably true, but it, it I just question this whole like Rhea and her husband were able to escape. Monel had to escape on the ambassador's pod. Yeah, I, I agree, Alan. It doesn't make any sense. Or maybe maybe it's, you know, like they could have saved everyone, but they didn't, and that makes them look like even bigger assholes. <laughs> they didn't even they, save their son, though. Mamel yeah, seems to true. really love him, so I would think she would save him at least. You know, yeah, she she obviously loves him more than she loves her husband. So it's certainly possible the they were off planet, the fleet was off planet, collecting slaves somewhere, and uh, you, you can kind of hand wave some of it away, but but you'd think there'd be some ships in orbit. Agreed. Or just some sort of, you know, planned 
if if they have space access and they have space travel, why doesn't Monel have his own pod? Not why did it have to be a Kryptonian one, right? Like you would think all of the royal family would have essentially escape pods in case something ever happened to their palace or planet. But that that's just too much security consciousness, I guess. So <laughs> So I feel like at this point, Supergirl's like staring at this whole fleet. Is this the point where Supergirl should call Superman to help her? Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what the next episode does and whether they bring in Superman, because at the very least, I feel like the news should be reporting that there are alien ships over National City and he would be aware and come, uh, or if they're going to just pretend Superman's not a thing. Well, they did allude to Batman in this episode. Because uh, when they were at the, uh, you know, by all the food trucks, when and James were talking and uh, they were talking about Clark's friend who wears a mask and is and scares everybody. I did not catch that at all. And I was like, are they referring to Superman? I'm so confused. Like, I, I was literally confused by that statement. So I'm glad you clarified. <laughs> so how do we feel about this episode as a whole? I really liked the last episode. <laughs> 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 oh, oh. <laughs> oh, yeah! This episode was eh, it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't very good either. I mean, it's a nice effort to flesh out the Guardian character, but it would have been nicer if they had just scrapped the Guardian idea and then put this, you know, James-centric episode earlier in the season. Agreed. About the only thing I really loved in this episode was Lena and. Uh, Kara having lunch together and talking about NSYNC. Because uh, I was like, they, they actually made an effort for them to be friends, which is something mm-hmm. I've been complaining about all season, is that Lena and Kara always pretend they're friends, but they never actually hang out. Uh, so I feel like in the last couple of episodes, the writers have been like, oh, maybe friends should actually hang out. And so having them hang out at lunch, I think, was a really nice touch. It was, it was really nice to see that scene. I, I have one question, because I normally don't look at the titles for any of these episodes. What does City of Lost Children mean? I, I was going to ask that, too. I feel like it's a title that has nothing to do with the episode. I There was a, there was a scene where James is trying to bond with Marcus and discussing his past when um, he was out of place in a minority in, in, in a, a city. But at that point, they didn't even seem to go on to the fact that Superman was a refugee and how... There's a sort of a alien refugee story that they could have done. And are those the lost children in cities? I, I was confused. Mm-hmm. I could see it more being just called lost children because we obviously have a lost child in Marcus and James is lost. And I'm OK with calling him a child when he's behaving like one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, and, you know, Kara sometimes acts like a child as well. So if you wanted to call it lost children and Lena, right, is lost. Because it's the whole mom-daughter relationship. I suppose. And Monel as well but, in the fashion. Right. So if you wanted to call this episode Lost Children, I feel like that would make sense. Because it's about lost children. But why is it City of Lost Children? I have no idea. Unless National City, like, that's its, like, subtitle name. You know, City of Lost Children. That's really terrible branding on the city's part. But, yeah, I was like, I have no idea what this title has to do. With the episode. Like, last week's title made sense. Alex. All right, anyone else have any final thoughts on this episode? I feel like we've kind of walked through the whole plot. So anyone have anything else they want to get off their chest about City of Lost Children? I have some theories about the finale, but not about this episode. I'll I'll hear your theories about the finale. 
Well, I I don't think we're likely to see Superman because it just, I don't know, it seems unlikely. It might, you never know. But uh, I can only, especially for how Monel failed to save the world, I, I think there really is only one path forward, which is Rhea dies and presumably not by the hands of a good guy because good, good people don't hurt, don't kill people. Monel becomes king and he just orders the Daxamites away. And we may actually lose Monel in the process because he has to then go and save the Daxum Empire. Like I don't, I don't see any other way for this to go. But I, I'm curious to hear what other people have to say. That reminded me that I completely forgot about the part where Monel pulls the gun on his mother, which I definitely wanted to talk about. I, I wrote that down that I wanted something to talk about because one, who gave Monel a gun? Two, who gave him training? <laughs> <laughs> he specifically said, "I have to go get something." That was him going getting a gun. Does he know how to use a gun? He watched a lot of TV. Maybe that's how he learned how to use firearms. He knows about YouTube. <laughs> Monel learning to use a gun on YouTube. I feel like that's a statement of our times. There's a lot you can learn on YouTube. <laughs> well, there's that kid who learned how to drive on YouTube and went to McDonald's. Yeah, I, I've learned to knit from YouTube. YouTube is very useful. <laughs> yeah, I, but with your theory going forward, I could see that. Monel, I, I feel like. Monel has to become king and he's shirking his responsibility and not doing so. Even if I think his mother is evil, I, I feel like his abandonment of his people is kind of anti what Kara stands for. <laughs> and that uh, to a certain extent, Monel has a point. She's evil. She's not doing it well. But, you know, he does have a responsibility to his people unless, you know, his people suddenly become a democracy, which he could do right that that's almost sounded like what his plan was like that was what he initially when, when he agreed to go with him he said well let's go back and let's make it different right right and so he is you know shirking his responsibility and so i feel like monel's whole storyline is learned is going from a party boy to a responsible person so in the end i feel like he has to become king and or die i feel like those are the two options yeah, and that, but that also reminds me, and I mean, maybe they just won't go into this this deeply, but just, you know, the whole concept of, you know, a ruler converting what was essentially a monarchy to a democracy, that reminds me a little bit of uh, in Game of Thrones when Daenerys, you know, like, you know, be becomes, a, like, rules over the former slave people and, and, and you know, like, tries to get them to understand that they're no longer slaves anymore, but then, you know, the masters really rebel. And, and so it, it's like, that doesn't always work very well, but I'm not sure if the writers of this show will dwell so much on those problems of being a leader. Yeah. I, I mean, I think what happens is Monel will become a leader and then disappear from the show. I, if he does go, I will kind of miss, because I, I do kind of feel like they finally figured out some chemistry between her and Kara, but oh well. Also, he's got so many good one-liners. Though not in the past couple episodes. He has become a much nicer character, so I agree. I will also miss Monel if he just disappears from the show entirely. I agree. I, I don't like Monel and Kara together, but I do like Monel in the show, so I will I will miss him. Alright, well, I guess we're done. Thank you guys for joining us to talking about Supergirl today. Thanks, David. Happy to be here. Thanks, Dan. Thank you. This has been fun. Thanks, Alan. This was fun. Don't hide in a fridge if there's a nuclear disaster. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it for today's episode. Uh, join us again next week for next week's episode. Thanks. Thanks.